With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the awesome.com NFL strategy show Wednesday edition. We're talking top stacks, top targets for week six. Well, yesterday we didn't have a show because, well, DraftKings decided not to release their salaries, but we're here. We're breaking all of it down. I'm Dave Lochran with me, Matt Kajeski, Kyle Dvorak, taking a look at everything for week six's 11 game slate coming off a Tuesday night football game, Kyle where Derrick Henry absolutely ended Josh Norman's life with one of the most vicious stiff arms. Look, that stiff arm sent Josh further, Josh Norman further than Le'Veon Bell's longest carry in the last one and a half years. Yeah, isn't his longest carry 19 yards, if I'm correct? I think that's the longest one. And yeah, it's incredible. Uh, Man, that was brutal. It was funny. It wasn't even like the best game for Derrick Henry in terms of like he got stuffed behind like he got stuffed in the box a few times he wasn't really breaking off a ton of long runs but man like the fantasy points because of touchdowns and the freaking highlight reel on Josh Norman looks great so you know box score if you're just looking at the yards he put up maybe not great but in terms of in terms of the value it added for Derrick Henry his clout has gone up so much more and it was already fairly high (laughs) it really was Matt, good to have you on the show. You and I, and glad to have everyone else with us uh, as well. As always, you guys know that. We love you hanging out with us every morning, uh, including yesterday morning, Matt, where we broke down that Bills and Titans game. We specifically said there's really no point in projecting these game scripts anymore because the wildest things are happening. And the Titans coming off a ridiculous couple of weeks with COVID-19 galore spreading throughout the locker room and throughout the facility and throughout the organization, um, not the, the normal practice routines that you would see, they come out and absolutely, absolutely blow the doors off of an undefeated Buffalo Bills team. Yeah, definitely a surprising outcome. I was back in the Bills, so uh, rip to my bankroll. But I, I do think projecting game script is important, but not necessarily what we think is going to happen. I think it's more important just in the context of your lineup. So in showdown, and you can do this on the main slate as well when you're building your stacks. But last night, for example, you took a contrarian approach to game script. I mean, you probably need a Derrick Henry as well, but you play some Titans guys, you play AJ Brown, then you run it back with uh, Stefan Diggs. You run it back with a Gabriel Davis and Devin Singletary. He was basically unusable in the game script that actually played out. So I think thinking about game script is important, but you mentioned it taking a contrarian approach has been profitable this year. 
Yeah, look, you're right. There's there's no question that it's important to try and figure it out. But I, I think the I think what's more important, Matt, is not getting dead set on one game script and assuming that that's the only direction these games can take. For sure, 100%. We've seen it last night. We How many games have we seen it this year? A lot. We've seen just this week alone, right? Minnesota went down by two scores. Dallas went down by two scores. The Chiefs went down by 16 points at one point in that game. And then yesterday, the Bills lost by what, like 28 points or something? That's just, those are just four games. That's one week's worth. And I'm probably missing some. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And Kyle, I think as we dive into our stacks for this week, as we dive into uh, some chalk and pivots, uh, and, and some good contrarian looks for week six. It's something certainly to keep in mind, especially in a wild 2020 season thus far. Yeah, I definitely think that uh, as of right now, we don't want to lean too heavily on, yeah, just like projecting these things. I'd much rather try and play things like ownership, which I do think we will be fairly good at projecting ownership. That can tell us where to leverage these plays. Whereas like, especially in terms of like projecting points, I just don't think we're going to be as good at projecting fantasy points as we are at projecting what the public thinks is going to happen. So I think that's where the leverage really comes from. Yeah, Kyle, one more thing before we jump into it. You guys see it on the left side of the screen. Le'Veon Bell cut by the New York Jets after less than one and a half seasons. If you're wondering what his career or his tenure looked like in New York, well, he leaves $15 million in dead cap space in 2020, another $4 million in 2021. He earned $28 million across 17 starts, 18 games that he was active, and averaged 3.7 yards per attempt. Hey, how about this? He didn't have a single game, a single 100-yard rushing game. He didn't even have one game of 90 rushing yards, and 15 of his 17 games, he failed to eclipse the 70-yard mark. It's crazy. Yeah, so I think there are two things to look at here. One, he went from the best possible scenario. Like, how are teams going to cover, like, going to play Le'Veon Bell with eight men in the box when they had to cover Antonio Brown, they had to cover Juju Smith-Schuster, and they had to worry about Ben going deep on them? And then he goes to the exact opposite scenario. Who cares what you do when you're defending Sam Darnold and this Adam Gase offense? So it was definitely a downgrade for him from maybe the highest of highs to the lowest of lows but he definitely didn't look that good either. So I think there's some of both happening. It's like regression in terms of what his offense can offer him. And then he's probably just wasn't the, wasn't as good as he was in Pittsburgh, just physically, maybe mentally even. And then at that point, the production isn't there. The contract is bad. And the situation became untenable where like him and him and Adam Gates were so petty. And I like, I don't think it's good that Le'Veon Bell was like liking tweets about his usage and whatever, but like, as a coach, like Adam Gates, you have to get these things under control. Like your job, like Le'Veon Bell's job is to run the football. Your job as Adam Gase is to lead this team. And maybe this is how you do it. Maybe you do it by cutting Le'Veon Bell. But I think this kind of, you know, stems back to a larger systemic issue where this Jets franchise just seems completely in disarray. Just another example. I'm not sure how many more games we see Adam Gase as the head coach. And in terms of landing spots, I don't know. There's not a ton of great ones. I think one, Arizona, does make a decent amount of sense. Kenyon Drake has played quite poorly. And, uh, like, yeah, I don't think they're going to look to Chase Edmonds as more than a pass-catching plus back. He could just take over some of that Kenyon Drake role. And I think his maybe it was his running back coach in Pittsburgh is now, like, the running back coach in Arizona or something if you're looking to really dive into the weeds. I think maybe that's one of the top landing spots. Outside of that, I don't I don't know, maybe like the, the Giants, but, uh, you know, Devonta Supreme's played, oh, okay. He was in the Millie Maker winning lineup last week, so you've got that. Matt, if you had to 
try and put your finger on the pulse of this situation with the Jets and Le'Veon Bell. Is it more Bell? Is it more the Jets? Is it both? Could he go to another team and have legitimate fantasy success? Le'Veon Bell has been great at leveraging his own value, and he parlayed it into a huge contract with New York that he somehow weaseled his way out of without actually having to play the games. So props to him for actually getting paid, (laughs) although he did choose to go to New York. So all the concerns that he's raising were self-inflicted because he ultimately signed the contract and decided to go to the Jets. Same thing with Jets' ownership for bringing him in and Adam Gase not liking him. As far as fantasy going forward, like Kyle said, I'm not sure where he can sign and have immediate value. I don't think in Arizona he's going to be anything more than a timeshare back, and I think he's probably honestly going to have to wait for an injury. All right. Well, let's do it. Now we got through wait, that. Wait, I've got, I've got a good one for you. Please. Denver, because breaking news, as of just as we were getting onto the show, Broncos running back Melvin Gordon charged with a DUI. So oh. maybe Denver's landing the spot. They have Phil yeah. Lindsay, dude. He's a timeshare back there, too. I'm not saying this is good for Le'Veon Bell. I don't think even if Le'Veon Bell goes anywhere, honestly, I don't want to play him. I'm just trying to pick spots that he may actually go to. Yeah, like if you have Le'Veon Bell on your fantasy team, you're you're screwed. You shouldn't take him in the first place. Don't take Jets. But uh, yeah, no, he's not going anywhere to get, I don't think, a ton of fantasy value. I've seen the Chiefs thrown out there. I guess being a timeshare back on the Chiefs would be useful. But like, yeah, no, he is no more than a timeshare back. I'm just trying to pick spots he may actually land. And I guess... That breaking news uh, that I can bring to you guys maybe opens up a spot for him. But yeah, Philip Lindsay's good. He's actually good. Yeah, he's not a bad player at all. By the way, I will say this, though. When we talk about don't take Jets, Jamison Crowder's been a stud this year. Like, he's been one one exception to a, a hard, yeah. steadfast rule that you don't draft Jets. He's got he's got seven receptions in all three games, double digit targets in all of them. He's eclipsed a hundred yards in all three games as well, Kyle, with touchdowns in two of three. So Jameson Crowder is one guy that you're wiping the, the beads of sweat off your forehead, saying, God, of all of these landmines on this team, he still continues to produce day in or week in and week out. Yeah, absolutely. He's been uh, like the one, I think volume has helped him get there, but he's also quite good. Like he can break tackles. He's a guy who's like good at the catch point. Yeah. I think he's been the one exception to the rule in fantasy. I'm probably like in, in terms, I guess, if we're talking season long, yeah, sure. You're, you're playing him in terms of DFS. I don't know, man. I really struggled to ever go back to that. Well, but I get it. He's been quite good and he is incredibly talented given the situation he's playing in. And it was where we saw Le'Veon Bell wasn't able to overcome that. So maybe something to think about. All right, let's make it happen. Here we go. Week six, looking at the chalk. Matt, we'll start off just with some some quick quarterback discussion because once we get – you know what? Scratch that. The stacks correlate with the quarterback ownership anyway. So we'll hit on that later in the show so we don't take up too much time. Instead, let's go straight to the running back position. It starts with Derrick Henry. You know this. The week, the early weekly disclaimer, the ownership projections will change. They always do throughout the week. They will be in flux, and there's a ton of moving parts. But you've got Derrick Henry at 36.5% projected ownership right now. It's a very, very hefty number, and I, I don't think any of us should be shocked by this. He's got a matchup against the Houston squad that defensively has shown some struggles. Yes, they pulled out a win last week. Good for them against Jacksonville. Brandon Cooks came through in a big way. David Johnson had his highest usage of the season. So there's there are some good things there. But the Titans are field goal favorites at home with a 29-point implied total. And Derrick Henry is sitting here on DraftKings at $7,300. What are your thoughts at this crazy ownership? Yeah, the ownership, I think, is driven entirely by price and matchup at this point. 
a guy who he was averaging 29 opportunities coming into last night's game. I've been telling the math and team where that figures after last night, but another voluminous game for Derrick Henry last night, voluminous and inefficient gets you there off touchdowns. But again, it's the matchup and it's the volume. And at 7,300, I mean, it's pretty ridiculous that he's in this price range. He's going to be a good play, but at that ownership, I'm not sure I'm going to, to eat something that high. What do you think at this point? I'll go to you, Kyle. Where do you stand on Henry at what seems like a pretty reasonable price point uh, for a guy that is, Matt mentioned, just voluminous opportunities week in and week out? Yeah, I kind of, I think, you know, like you said, everything lines up for being a good Henry game. My only concern is that we did see a decent amount of Jeremy McNichols. The game was pretty much over at that point, but they put Jeremy McNichols in and then they brought Derrick Henry back in. So that kind of tells me at least that they didn't see the game as completely dusted. Like you either bench Derrick Henry because the game is over or you don't. So maybe they're trying to tamper his workload. Maybe it was just the right time to get McNichols in. But yeah, as as Matt said, it was like largely inefficient. I think that's been something we saw. We saw it for like, I believe it was the first half of the Denver game where he was just getting stuck time in and time again. He ended up like getting 30 carries going over 100 yards that game, having a perfectly fine game. But I do think we're seeing a bit of the regression. Like we're not going to get every single game, 100 yards, just like lockbox it at 25 carries, 125 yards. He's just a running back. He's an incredibly good running back, but there's only so much he can do when his offensive line isn't blocking for him, when defenders are getting in the backfield. So at the ownership, I think there are some pivots I feel comfortable making. I'd rather just pay up for guys who I know are going to get more work as receivers. Derrick Henry last night, two targets, one catch. And that is, that should just be the blanket expectation. I think he's averaging like just over one catch per game this season. At his price, the running, like the running back, running carries are good but he needs to do a little more as a receiver for me to really feel like I can eat a lot of chalk on him. I think he's a fine play, but at that ownership, I'm looking for three down backs and he's just simply not a three down back. You are so reliant on that hundred yard bonus and on the touchdowns that if he goes for 90 and a touchdown, that just doesn't get you there in a tournament. And that is very possible. Like any week that could just happen. So I think I'm looking for guys who can catch more passes specifically at the ownership. Like I think he's a great play at his price, but we have to talk about ownership and he just doesn't meet the thresholds I want for chalk. And Matt, Kyle talks about potentially limiting his workload. Uh, one logical conclusion there might simply be that they're playing on a short week. They've had a ton of um, internal turmoil, again, given the COVID-19 situation, maybe less practice time. Uh, and now they're going from a Tuesday game to a Sunday game, which gives them you know, less time to practice, less time to, to recuperate for a guy that was averaging 29 attempts or 29 opportunities each week. Yeah, I don't think in competitive games we see Jeremy McNichols. He's a practice squad player at best, and he had nine attempts last night. We've seen them feed Derrick Henry 20-plus attempts in every other game, most of those being more competitive than what we saw last night. So I don't think that that will happen. All right, sticking with you here for a second, Matt, if you work your way down to the next player at the position, Mike Davis, once again uh, projected for a significant amount of ownership. Now, I don't know if Christian McCaffrey is going to play. The, late, the latest update we have was from two days ago that McCaffrey's undergoing test this week to determine if he's healthy enough to be activated from the IR for Sunday's matchup against the Bears. Uh, Miles Simmons of the Panthers, Panthers official site reports. So here, twofold question. One, if McCaffrey plays, what are you doing with him at 8,500? And two, if McCaffrey plays, how much do we have to worry about Mike Davis actually playing somewhat of an integral role in this offense going forward? I have no idea. I don't think we'll know until we see the game plan, unless we get 
a report or something from a beat reporter that says, you know, Christian McCaffrey is going to be on a snap count. We'll have no idea. And you're just going to have to play the, the ownership game and decide if that leverage is worth it or if that ownership is worth eating. Cause I, Mike Davis has been phenomenal. He's been better than McCaffrey in the short sample. We actually saw McCaffrey. So maybe that does warrant some time on the field. I flat out don't know. And I'm not sure anyone does outside of the coaching staff. As far as Mike Davis's ownership at he's coming in at 22% right now at seven K all assuming Christian McCaffrey were to sit. I don't think that's too egregious for a guy that's, you know, averaging over five targets a game. He had 10 last week, nine catches, also 16 attempts in the run game. He's literally playing that Christian McCaffrey role. And in your, your low risk contest, I think you just continue to lock Mike Davis until he's priced. In a Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day. Couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That's your brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus range where christian mccaffrey was before the injury yeah kyle you've got mike davis now uh amazingly coming in at a, a comparable price point to guys like derrick henry he's more expensive than kareem hunt uh, it, it's pretty remarkable. He's $500 or $400 more expensive than Miles Sanders, who draws another very difficult matchup. If Mike Davis is the starter again and Christian McCaffrey remains sidelined, uh, are you going right back to the well? Yeah, he's, I, I was looking, you know, we were looking through the ownership going top down and I see him at slightly cheaper than Derrick Henry. And I see him at less ownership than Derrick Henry while he is literally just playing the Christian McCaffrey role as good, if not better than Christian McCaffrey has yeah, I think he was way better chalk to be eating than Derrick Henry. I think he's the best chalk of the week to to continue to play. There's really no reason. We haven't seen anyone steal a significant amount of work from him. Reggie Bonifant on the IR, they have no one behind him. Absolutely. I think Mike Davis is probably the, the most accurate chalk of the week. He was the most accurate chalk of last week. And until either Christian McCaffrey comes back, I saw a beat reporter say that there was a little chance that Christian McCaffrey plays this week. So I, I'm pretty confident saying that, you know, until we get further updates, he's not playing. So until Christian McCaffrey comes back or his price hits like 8K plus, you just keep jamming in Mike Davis. Yeah. Highest snap count of the season so far for Mike Davis at 83% last game. Uh, he's heavily involved both as a rusher and a pass catcher. You're right. Like it is accurate chalk. He's been targeted over the last four games, eight times, nine times, six times, and 10 times. These are absurd numbers. These are bell cow elite fantasy mind you elite fantasy type production numbers from somebody like mike davis he's had uh, 13 16 and 16 attempts over his last three games he had 26 opportunities last week 22 the week before that and 22 the week before that monster numbers and you know what he's actually been wildly efficient so i'm not gonna i i can't i can't object to any of that how could you uh kyle another one too is david johnson I think last week uh, in that win over Jacksonville was kind of a double-edged sword. In one hand, you look at Romeo Cornell, who is, by the way, the oldest coach ever. Did you know that? The oldest head coach ever? No, I didn't know that. Good for, good for Romeo. I had no idea he was that old, but apparently he is. Um, he and company gave David Johnson 17 carries, his most on the season. Last week was 16. And he tied his high, his season high with four targets. 
and ran about, I think, 23 routes. Also, he was on the field, I think, 83% of the time or something like that. So any any notion that Bill O'Brien was loyal to David Johnson but Romeo Cornell wouldn't be, I think that does somewhat go out the window seeing that this was actually his highest opportunity count of the entire season. And game script, of course, I think plays into that pretty significantly too because they finally had a lead. Yeah, I think maybe that's the thing I would focus on a little bit more is that it was finally a chance that they got to use David Johnson like they probably want to use him. Like, you know, I guess maybe it's a new regime, but the team all had to agree on, in some aspect of trading for David Johnson, trading away probably the best receiver in the league. I think they want to use him like that, but how many chances do they actually get to use him given that I don't expect them to pull off a win? You know, anything can happen, but I don't expect them to pull off a win versus Tennessee. This is another spot where I'm a little more comfortable fading the chalk. The volume is great. The price is great. I just think the situation isn't ideal for him. He's He's been like mostly inefficient too on the year. He hasn't been anything special as a runner. Definitely not the David Johnson we used to see. So I'm probably fine fading this chalk as well, although he's not going to be nearly as popular as Derrick Henry. So you don't gain as much leverage by doing so. And in terms of a points per dollar play, he's still a great play based on the volume he sees at a very minimal price of 5,400. So I get why you would go there. Just for me personally, I think there are as good running back plays on the slate that are going to be less around. How about you, Matt? He did average almost six yards per attempt, which is encouraging. But I think Kyle makes a lot of sense in saying last week's game could very likely shape up a whole lot differently than this week. But I'll go back to what I said at the top of the show. At this point, who the hell knows if Houston comes out of the gate with a 21-0 lead? I don't. It could happen. One game script I am a lot more confident in is Miami taking on the New York Jets. And we have Miles Gaskin at the same price who's seeing the same work. He had 16 carries and five targets in their most recent game. Quietly one of the better bell cows on you know, some of these bad teams. And we finally saw Miles Gaskin play with some positive game script. At the same price with the same volume and literally half the ownership, he's just the direct pivot I'm going to make if these ownership numbers stick. I like that. He's been wildly inefficient, but I'm not really sure how much that matters, uh, especially given the fact that they've played a couple teams with very, very solid run defenses too. Um, if the opportunities are there though, I'm with you, man. And they're, I think they're nine point favorites. The Miami Dolphins <laughs> are nine point favorites against the Jets in a divisional game. That really tells you all you need to know. So I think that's a solid, strong pivot there. Uh, Matt, what about somebody like Kareem Hunt, who's pulling 16% ownership right now? I've got to tell you personally that, um, or I would just at least caution you to look at Miles Sanders' game, um, not overall, but take a microscope to that and understand that for the most part, he was very, very inefficient, uh, extremely inefficient. He had one phenomenal run, broke a couple of tackles, leaped over a defender, and took it 74 yards to the house. He had 10 yards for six carries outside of that. So he had one for 74 and 10 for six following that. This is not a rollover-and-die Pittsburgh run defense. I still believe they're one of the best in the league. And I don't know. I'm not convinced that Kareem Hunt's going to be able to get it going on the ground at almost $7,000. Maybe you have a difference of opinion. No, I'm not convinced either. It draws a real tough matchup against Pittsburgh. And this is another situation where we have pivots in the same range with, you know, better or, you know, the same workload and role. One player in particular is, is Joe Mixon. Now, Joe Mixon is coming in. I believe he's 100 cheaper on DraftKings 
And his role is significantly better in this offense. Even just last week, like the Cincinnati Bengals were getting absolutely destroyed. Joe Mixon had 24 carries and eight targets. Like that's just an easy pivot to me. We already know that he's going to be used in negative game script. I'm not sure. I'm not sure we see that entirely out of Kareem Hunt. Maybe we do. We haven't, we haven't really seen it yet, but Mixon cheaper, lower owned, same volume, if not better, easy pivot for me. All right, uh, Kyle, over to you here. Kareem Hunt, 16%, $6,900 in that same price range as we already talked about. Mike Davis, James Conner, James Robinson, Miles Sanders. Uh, How does he shake out in comparison to those guys? Yeah, I I kind of just like, I I get that he is, quote, talented, but running backs are so dependent on the situation and the, the game script shouldn't be awfully favorable for him. I know he can catch passes, but you'd generally rather have your running back have a lead. I just think, as as Matt said, like there are guys getting as much volume in better situations at lower ownership around similar or better prices. One of those guys that I like, Dave Montgomery, has really operated as a three down back since we saw Tariq Cohen go down. 90 receiving snaps in those three games, or I guess it's like two and a half games, but 90 receiving snaps in two and a half games with Tariq Cohen out. Last week, eight targets the week before that. Six targets, those are both career highs, back-to-back games of career high target numbers. He's even playing a little bit of out wide. He has like, I think in back-to-back games, five or four snaps playing either in the slot or out wide. So they are sort of being forced. Maybe it's not their choice, but they're being forced to use him as they would use Tariq Cohen in some sense, especially with that eight targets. So I think for much cheaper, for over a thousand cheaper, Dave Montgomery at lower ownership, a much more reasonable sub 15% ownership is a pivot I'd love to make. That Miles Gaskin pivot is a really good one on the same David Johnson price. That's a great call on that one. I think Joe Mixon makes a ton of sense as well as a pivot. Just you can get the same amount of volume at cheaper prices or at lower ownership. I'm not sure why you're not doing that. Like Mike Davis volume is almost unreplaceable. I mean, it is Christian McCaffrey volume. So I get why you eat the chalk there. But as Derrick Henry volume is, you know, 20 to 30 carries completely irreplaceable. Maybe if he hits that 30 carry total, but if he's going to sit at 20 to 25, there are probably some backs this week that will carry the ball that much. Like we could see that happen with a guy like Jonathan Taylor. We could see it happen with James Conner. These, you know, home running backs, home favored running backs who get a lot of carries. They could do that. I get why you eat the chalk on Mike Davis, because you may not be able to find 10 targets from a running back on the rest of the slate. You can probably replace Kareem Hunt's carries and targets with a guy like David Montgomery or a guy like Joe Mixon. So when you can replace them, I will just do so at lower ownership. Wide receiver chalk can get you into trouble sometimes, right? Just because you're relying on the quarterback to get you the ball, uh, first to target you, and second, to actually put the ball in the vicinity. Matt, we have a couple of guys this week that are projected for pretty high ownership at a position that generally never garners as as high ownership, as concentrated ownership as, as the running back position. But I've got to tell you, some of these spots are really, really favorable. I'll give you a couple, two guys that we have projected at the top of the position right now that to me um, are really appealing, despite the fact that they're going to be popular. The first one, Adam Thielen against Atlanta. Dude's got the worst touchdown dances in, in the world. They're, they're, they're terribly embarrassing, but he's a fantastic football player. And uh, he's now hauled in 17 of 23 targets over his last two games. Now he could probably parlay those last two performances into a third stellar game against a banged up Atlanta secondary 
that just fired their head coach, started the season 0-5 in a terrible, terrible spot. And then one more guy at a price point that I think is too low and is going to continue to see his ownership rise throughout the week is Terry McLaurin. I know the quarterback situation is in flux. Kyle Allen went out. Alex Smith made a triumphant return, which is an incredible story, by the way. Uh, And everyone should have been happy to see him come in, even though he got the shit kicked out of him for like 45 (laughs) minutes. But Terry McLaurin, uh, what a talent he is. He's $5,700 against the New York Giants. So there are two guys at the top, Matt, that that stand out as, as very justifiably chalky options. Yeah, my, my question with Thielen is we've seen him play in negative game script two games in a row, and I'm going to – I keep talking about game script after you basically at the top said so don't worry about game script, but I, I do think with Thielen it is an extreme concern because Minnesota is one of these teams. I mean, do you trust Gary Kubiak to throw on this Atlanta secondary? Because I certainly don't. I think if Minnesota's up in this game, they're going to ride either Madison or Cook, whoever's healthy, to 30 carries. And Adam Thielen, just like in weeks one through three, is going to have a 30% target share, but he's going to max out at eight targets. So that is a major concern for me. If you do think game script goes against the grain, then Adam Thielen's target share will rise. But it is a concern with this Minnesota inefficient offensive attack, not employing their pass catchers in a way I think that is efficient overall for their offense. And that's a fair take. So you're, what you're saying is it's not the matchup as much as it's the potential lack of volume. Like Gary Kubiak is such a donkey. He just runs Dalvin <laughs> Cook into the back of the offensive line like 15 times till they're losing then he realizes he has to throw to Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson like 27 times in the second half to get them back into the game. It's true. Uh, Buckeye fan for life, Kyle, says in chat that uh, Terry McLaurin is going to get that Brad- Bradbury shadow. Look, I am – as everyone knows this. Bradbury, I, I think – I'm one of the biggest fans of James Bradbury. What he's been able to do to phenomenal uh, NFC South – wide receivers, elite wide receivers in the NFC South for years before moving to New York uh, has, has to be admired. But I will say, when you say look at what he did to Amari Cooper last week, as, as Buckeye fan did, we have to at least draw some disparity there in, A, there's no one else to throw to in Washington. You know, whether it's Dak or Andy Dalton, you had C.D. Lamb, you have Michael Gallup, you have Ezekiel Elliott out of the backfield. Terry McLaurin might just get peppered with targets regardless. And he's also a different receiver than, than Amari Cooper. So I'm not as concerned about that as other people. Maybe you are. Go ahead. T- take, uh, what's your take on some of these chalky wideouts? Yeah, no, the like cornerback matchup generally is is quite unpredictable week to week. You can have the like corners that don't move with the opposing receiver, or you can have like a receiver who gets to move into the slot at times. So I think it's just difficult to really project much like usage out of a cornerback matchup. My biggest concern with Terry McLaurin is like you named it. We saw Alex Smith both go out one. I think he was like nine of 17 for 37 yards, like 37 yards on 17 attempts. And he got sacked six times. That is an incredible amount of his dropbacks that he's getting sacked on, or he's just dumping down to his running backs. I think JD McKissick and, uh, and Antonio Gibson combined for 15 targets, like both between Kyle Allen, who was helping to throw to those guys and Alex Smith, they're going to want to throw to their running backs and take a lot of sacks. I don't know if they want to take sacks. That's probably what they're going to be doing because that's something Kyle Allen did at a tremendous clip when he was with the Panthers. And that is something that is generally, especially in terms of like pressure rates, quarterbacks do have a lot of control over that because they can like they can throw into contested coverage. They can throw it away or they can take sacks. So that is something that is going to be inherent specifically in Kyle Allen's play and probably because of the offensive line and the pressure they're going to face 
could end up being inherent in Alex Smith's play. Neither of them are particularly aggressive quarterbacks. I think Terry McLaurin at 5,700, like we talk about, the chalk is typically accurate in projecting like good players at their price. But is it, you know, accurate in projecting the fact that there are other guys in a similar price range who could easily outscore Terry McLaurin? I don't think so. I think his floor is getting a lot of inefficient targets that end up going wide left, wide right. He doesn't catch many of them. So for me, Terry McLaurin and to an extent, Adam Thielen, who I guess I can touch on just doubling down on like the Vikings philosophy of running the ball. They're one of four teams who are passing the ball less often than they run the ball. And they're losing nearly every game. It's one thing when you win all of your games like Baltimore winning every game. Sure. They're allowed to they're allowed to run as much as we want. We give them a free pass unless they're playing the Chiefs. Minnesota, you're losing. Start playing fast and throwing the freaking football. They just don't care. So I'm not sure if we see a Minnesota lead that they don't run every single. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Play that really does have me concerned for Adam Thielen at his price tag. I think there's some more modest chalk that I actually like more. I think on the other side of the ball, Calvin Ridley, I'd much rather pay up, you know, a few $500 more, get a little bit less ownership, but be on the right side of game script. Atlanta is, I believe, the second fastest team in seconds per play. And they're also in the top half of the league, number 11, I believe, in pass percentage. So they both run fast, or I guess they play fast, and they pass the ball a pretty decent amount. And that's because they've been losing. They're probably going to lose again. So I think still chalky, but much less so on the other side of the ball. Calvin Ridley, uh, an infinitely better play. Yeah, and deservedly getting around 14% ownership, as he should be. Uh, that's yeah. really not that high, uh, given what we've seen from him. The the ceiling on somebody like Calvin Ridley is remarkable, too, because you've got an Atlanta team that plays from behind so frequently, number one, uh, and he's just getting so many deep attempts. It's, it's absurd uh, what he's been able to do with them. Week four against Green Bay was a clear outlier. We saw last week bounced back with eight for 136. And when Calvin Ridley gets in the end zone, that's a 30 fantasy point game, which he's already done twice this season. Uh, I'm with you there, Kyle. I think he he totally warrants that price point and ownership. What about what about Will Fuller, Matt? 6,800, that price point continues to rise. Last week, it was Brandon Cooks who did the bulk of the damage in the Houston Texans passing game. But um, Will Fuller still has the breakaway speed, can still take the top off the defense. He's uh, looking relatively popular right now. And I will say, I was very surprised to see the ownership coming in on the Houston Texans in our first run uh, of these ownership projections. It, it surprised me a bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm just probably not going to eat the ownership on these stacks because Deshaun Watson is also one of the most owned quarterbacks. So if I'm stacking Houston, it's probably not going to be with the most owned pass catcher. That's not to say Will Fuller is not in a good spot. He certainly is potential shootout in that game. Tennessee also doesn't have any corners. They're expected to bring Adoree Jackson off injured reserve this week. They were also expected to bring him off injured reserve last week. So who knows how far along he is. Then, you know, Christian Fulton's on COVID list. Who knows if he'll be right. There's a lot of unknowns with this Tennessee secondary right now, but at 14% and Deshaun Watson coming in as the most owned quarterback, which I'm trying to stack in almost every single lineup I'm running in tournaments, Will Fuller's not going to be a major part of those builds at this point in the week. At the tight end position too, Kyle, you've got a couple uh, spots that, again, surprised me. Zach Ertz, 
12.2% projected ownership. If he ends up being chalk, uh, I will have, I will gleefully get away from that. Teams, seriously, what we've seen too is teams just double him and force Carson Wentz to go elsewhere. Travis Fogum had a remarkable game last time out, 36% target share, caught 10 of 13 targets, created a ton of separation, showed a ton of strength in contested situations, um, and was just there every time Wentz needed him. That's only going to make Ertz either, if they continue, if defenses continue what they're doing, it's going to make Ertz even less appealing, or maybe they realize that there's a somewhat competent wide receiver we don't know yet, uh, and he gets a little bit open or a little bit more open, a little bit more opportunity to create some separation and get out of double teams. But Zach Ertz has been absolutely dreadful this season. Yeah, man. Like, is it not possible that he is just absolutely washed? Like, I get he's been facing more stringent coverage because they have no one else to throw to. But like 4.1 yards per target is not only like obviously a career low for him. It's one of the worst among all tight ends in the league. Like, all, It seems like he all, doesn't yeah. care. I watched every – it seems like he's – I swear to God, it seems like he's <laughs> uninterested. And I don't know – when we talk about washed, how much – hasn't he been in the leagues the same time – the same amount of time as like Travis Kelsey? Yeah, but Travis Kelsey is great. Zach Ertz was always pretty dang good. These players, well, like AJ Green has been probably actually almost certainly in the in the league the exact same time as Julio Jones within probably a year or two. One of these guys is completely done and doesn't care. Perfect, you know, analogy. And one of these guys, Julio Jones, we saw in week one when he was healthy, is still absolutely smashing. Like he had 12 targets. I think he went over 100 yards. Like some guys just age differently. Zach Ertz could be a guy who just loses his game. Like if he can't generate separation, he's not an incredible athlete. Like he's not going to be generating a ton of yak. He's not a, like, he's never been a touchdown scorer. He just gives you nothing if he's not going to be like a, you know, a high volume, decent yards per catch guy. So I'm just, at this point, I'm completely fine fading any Zach Ertz chalk. Like they're not like, I don't know if they're going to be able to score a ton of points against Baltimore, but frankly, the way Zach Ertz has played, I don't care if they're playing Dallas. It's, it's quite an easy fade for me. Even looking down, Evan Ingram, like didn't get, like he got there because of a rushing touchdown last week. Didn't get a ton of looks. I think Jonu Smith at 5,200 is probably the most efficient of the chalky plays. Like I think the warrant, the ownership is most warranted on him. It, like, man, God, tight end is terrible this week. My Lord. Like, it's even when you look bad. up, like, yeah, you look up, like, Zach Ertz, like, most owned, but, like, he's not Zach Ertz that we know anymore. Like, Mark Andrews coming in, fairly reasonable ownership. Baltimore's looked much more sketchy than they did last year. I think one of my favorite plays is probably going to end up being Mike Gusecki. Been, like, up and down this year, but the projected put up points against against the Jets. Like, like yeah, imagine being... Miami and still getting to be like nearly <laughs> double digit favorites because the Jets are just that bad. So I think he shouldn't have a problem putting up points against this Jets defense. And mostly just when I don't think there are any great plays at tight end, kind of like I've talked about in other spots. I think the middle range of wide receivers, the one place that I was kind of fine eating chalk. If I don't think any of the top plays are great, why not just pivot down? Like I don't like Zach Ertz. I'm fine paying the 500 more for a more athletic Probably you could even argue on a better offense. Ryan Fitzpatrick has played quite well. So for me, yeah, I, I frankly, Mike Gusecki for 500 more at way less ownership, I think is a better play. Not a ton of great options. You know, you could potentially look to Hayden Hurst. Hasn't been getting a ton of looks. Doesn't have great market share numbers. I think it's somewhere around like 15%. But on that offense, you don't need a crazy market share. And I think he will get your stacks a little bit different. I think obviously the most popular route, if you want to stack Matt Ryan, will be to go Calvin Ridley. Maybe you can get it different by going a double stack of Ridley and Hurst or potentially like pivot off Ridley to Hurst and Gage. 
Julio Jones, if he plays, is also super cheap. So I just don't I don't love the chalk in any position, apparently. This is going to be a good tournament week for me, I guess. Yeah, and chalk could change throughout the week, right? Yes. There's so many things that, that will have an impact on it. But Matt, Ingram and uh, Evan Ingram and Zach Ertz are both averaging 29 receiving yards per game through five weeks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the chalk's terrible. Eh? What if I told you you could play a tight end that's chalk that runs around on 50% of dropbacks, but he has five touchdowns on about 25 targets. Talking that would about be, Mark Andrews? No, that'd be Jonu Smith. Who yeah, Jonu Smith, around, yeah. So he just blocks. And Does then he have five touchdowns already? He has yeah. so many touchdowns. And people I like to tell you night. that Jonu Smith is like this, Jonu Smith is this stud tight end. It's like he walked in the end zone five times. It's the same thing as, yeah. same thing as the Rams tight end Tyler Higby. Like these touchdowns are going to stop. And you Lafay, you and I were talking about this yesterday. Like what happens without the yeah, Kari Blassing game and Michael Pruitt? Well, that exactly happened. John U. Smith blocked at the highest rate that he's blocked in any game this year. He just happens to score two touchdowns. You're right. So what you're saying, Matt, is John egregious. What's that? John U. Smith's egregious. Is he more egregious? Who's the most egregious? Because I don't like any of the chalk plays. I think he was my favorite of Ingram and Ertz, but I'll take a lot of guys over him. Who is more egregious, Ingram, Ertz, or John U. Smith? Dude, you just punt when these tight ends are this bad. Like, why don't you just play yeah. Jordan Akins at 3,300 because he has the same volume as Jasicki? Or why don't you play Irv Smith, who ran a route on 70% of Minnesota's dropbacks? And or just 20- play Chris Herndon. No, I'm kidding. That dude is <laughs> that dude's bad. It is, it's a terrible position, man. This is... Oh, no, wait. I've got it. Jimmy Graham is 5K, and he's getting a decent amount of looks. He scored a few touchdowns. Way better price. Like, Jimmy Graham over Zach Ertz all day at the ownership. I'm back in on Herndon. Lafayette yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you look towards Logan Thomas? Maybe. I mean, the volume's the same as some of these guys. Like, his volume's the same as Johnny Smith. He just doesn't have the touchdowns. Yeah, I've I've done a decent job of, of navigating that disaster this season. But, my God, it is bad. Like, TJ Hawkinson is $5,300. Uh, that's if, if we were talking, say $4,300 TJ Hawkinson, I'd have quite a bit of interest, but like his target share has been low. And, you know, Matt, when you, when you look at Detroit, one thing that's been terribly disappointing for me, because I liked a lot of these guys coming into the season, look at the target shares. It, it's such a flat distribution of targets for this team. Uh, and we haven't really seen anything, uh, we I haven't seen any separation. Like seriously, look at look at the target shares. Nobody's above seventeen percent. I know that Kenny Galladay, granted, was out for several games, but still, there's there's just nothing there. And and Hawkinson, even without Galladay for two games, has a fifteen percent target share. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think if you're getting to this mid range of tight ends, you're doing so only in stacks. So with Hawkinson, he would have to be in a Matthew Stafford lineup or a run back in a Jacksonville stack, which seems unlikely just given Galladay's price. Otherwise, I'm not going to have a lot of Hawkinson. He's going to be in those stacks or he's not going to be in my lineups. If he's not a part of a primary stack, it's probably going to be a punt at tight end situation. So you guys know we've had a ton of showdown slates lately. We've been doing a ton of shows as well. Uh, Kyle, you and Emac holding it down on the live before locks. Great stuff. And Matt and I have been banging out those morning strategy shows. Uh, a ton of fun to take a first look at those. If you're, if you're enjoying that stuff, but you want to get a little bit more information and you want to look at the same stuff that we're looking at at awesome.com, we have added all of our showdown content to our NFL Express package for less than $4 a week. The showdown 
uh, player rankings, the showdown, top players, which takes into account what the percentage chances that they finish, you know, number one, number two through six, everything for perfectly suited for the lineup build that you have for showdown. Uh, we have the player projections, the ownership projections, like no one has more ownership content, premium ownership content that we do or sorry, premium showdown content than we do. Uh, and it's all made, all developed and used by Alex Baker himself, the number one ranked DFS player in the world. He puts this stuff on the site for us to use it to become better players, but he uses it himself to win a ton of money, which is why he is ranked number one uh, among anybody else that plays DFS. So for $3.95 a week, you can't go wrong. You really can't. It's not just showdown content, but now we have all the showdown content on top of all of the other content. And might I add, if you like other sports or if you just want to go all out with all of our premium NFL stuff, you can do weekly, monthly, annual. Uh, you can get the Awesome O Plus Platinum, all access to every sport we have, including NASCAR, PGA, UFC, League of Legends, obviously football, baseball, basketball, hockey, everything we have. Uh, on the site. You got that with the Osmo Plus Platinum. So go to awesomeo.com slash join. You can see everything we have to offer. There's something for everyone, really. No matter what your budget is, we got you covered. Um, and, and we'd love to have you come join us. Join our premium Slack chat when you do, by the way. Sign up, hop in our premium Slack chat. We got people talking, a great community, sports, betting, DFS, around the clock, all day long. Uh, and again, we have something for all of you, everything here developed by Alex Baker himself, which is, you know, why we take such pride in it. And then just an incredible amount of work put in from guys like Matt and Kyle uh, and Ben Rasa and Josh Ingeman and Adam Share. Those guys putting in amazing premium article content every single day and putting the work in so we can give you guys the best possible product. So go to awesomeo.com slash join, check that out. And uh, hopefully we'll see you over there. All right, let's talk some quick pivots here. And we'll actually, Kyle, start with the tight end position because we just went there. Let's make just a quick touch on the tight end position, and then we'll work our way backwards through running back, and we'll end the show with, um, with, with, our, with our favorite stacks and our favorite pivots kind of come full circle from the chalk and the pivots talk. Who do you have at this disgusting tight end position that right now is getting low ownership and makes sense at a position that we all agree is putrid? Yeah, so like the the total reason for not playing Jonu Smith makes a ton of sense because you are betting on something completely unsustainable to happen while everyone else is also betting on that unsustainable thing, that being touchdowns, especially for his role as like a semi-receiving tight end, but largely as a blocker. If you want to make that bet, you should be doing it at low ownership. If you want to bet on touchdowns being, you know, somewhat unsustainable, but we said that going into last night. Why would you not do it with Robert Tanya at 5,100? They put Josiah DeGura, who was getting some snaps, they put him on IR. They saw Mercedes Lewis working his way back from a knee injury. Jay Sternberger has been held catchless in all but one game. He's clearly their number one tight end for Aaron Rodgers, who, for as much crap as he got coming into the season, has been on an absolute tear. And I don't see that slowing down a ton in a pretty solid game environment versus Tampa Bay. So if you want to pay just over 5K, and bet on touchdowns, which is an unsustainable bet to make. But if you want to bet on it recurring this week, you should absolutely be doing it with low ownership. Get contrarian if you're going to make a, a low outcome bet. Do it with Robert Tanyan at 100 cheaper than Jonu Smith. You're probably getting more receiving snaps, and you're probably getting a better touchdown output because you're having Aaron Rodgers versus Ryan Tannehill, who is good, but his team also just wants to pound the rock. So I think Robert Tanyan, 5,100, he's been running incredibly hot with that triple touchdown game. 
but he could still put up one touchdown this week or even two touchdowns. And at the ownership, which is essentially non-existent, less than 1% ownership, why would you not just pivot off of Robert Tan- pivot off of Joni Smith onto Robert Tanyan, making the same bet, but I think you have better odds of repeating a multi-touchdown performance with Robert Tanyan than you do at Joni Smith. Matt, I can't wait until you and Kyle do the FanDuel strategy show on Thursday and get to talk about Robert Tanyan as the second highest priced tight end on FanDuel. What an experience <laughs> this has been. $6,200. And I don't disagree with anything Kyle's saying, but who would have thought we'd pull up a week six slate and be like, oh, Robert Tanyan, more expensive than Zach Ertz and everyone else not named Mark Andrews. I haven't even looked at FanDuel's pricing yet, but I just like I'm rolling my eyes right now how egregious that is. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, unbelievable. Like, FanDuel, what are you doing? Anyway, as far as pivots. Well, I, I mean, that's the least of FanDuel's worries. FanDuel didn't put any thought into the pricing this week. Seems They're a little like, busy, a little busy. Yeah, yeah, they got things going on. <laughs> FanDuel certainly does have things going on. I feel like, uh, I don't know. Anyway, for, for the DraftKings slate, pivots at tight end. I think I'm still just paying down. I, I do like Tanyan in his role in the offense and price, but at the same time, is his volume that much different than a guy like Jordan Akins? And even if Jordan Akins is out, we have Darren Fells, not that much more expensive. We also have Irv Smith who played more than 50% of the snaps also running around more than 70% of his snaps on the field saw five targets. He's just the straight minimum. And we saw this construction, especially in weeks like this, where we don't have Kelsey. Kittle, a lot of the best tight ends. Honestly, we do have Andrews, but outside of that, we just have Ertz, and we just have all the guys we we talked about wanting to fade. This construction has been very profitable in weeks where tight end has been a wasteland. So I think pivoting all the way down, just paying the min price or something slightly above it makes a lot of sense. I wrote an article about some must-have players early uh, for best ball leagues in maybe June or so, and, and one of them was Calvin Ridley for a number of reasons. And one of the points I made in that was that I'm not buying, I'm not buying into now. Listen, by the way, I get plenty wrong. We all do when it comes to best ball and fantasy. But the one thing I they took issue with was the immense amount of hype that was coming in on Hayden Hurst, assuming that he would just entirely supplant the production of Austin Hooper immediately. It took Austin Hooper three years to build any real type of rapport with Matt Ryan. Now, the fact that the passing volume is always going to be there with Ryan is really important. But Hayden Hurst has a sub-14% market share or target share this year. I guess the biggest thing is, though, 14% of 100 passes per game is still better than 30%, you know, of 20 passes per game, I think. I'm just, you know, I would assume that is. Yeah, that'd be 14 targets. Uh, But you get the point. I I definitely think uh, Hayden Hurst, while the target share is a little bit underwhelming, if you look at it in context – He's still seen six-plus targets over his last three games. Again, not high on the guy from a best ball or season-long standpoint, given where he was being drafted. But if I can try to get some type of volume here against Minnesota, I guess that's okay. But ultimately, Matt, I'm really just looking at a lot of these guys and trying to convince myself that, that there's some value there when on most normal slates, I'd be writing them off from the jump. Yeah, and guys, like when we're looking at target shares, think about what the game script is going to be like. And we can't do this with every game, but for example, if Odell Beckham has a 35% target share and they're playing the Jets, Odell Beckham, his target ceiling might be six targets that game. Like that just, so we have to think about this in the context of each individual game and each individual offense. And you've done a great job with Hayden Hurst in that Atlanta offense. 
while his target share might be a little bit lower, his raw target volume is still a little bit higher than even a guy maybe like John Smith. I know John is probably a bad example at this point, but just for the sake of discussion, you guys get what I'm saying. For sure. Yeah, he's, he's on pace for around 90 targets because Matt Ryan is forced to throw an insane amount. Matt Ryan's averaging 41 pass attempts per game. Wide receiver position, Kyle. Who do we have? Some lower-owned guys. This is usually a position that can really do big things for us in tournaments because chalk wide receivers, as we mentioned earlier, are reliant on so many external factors for things to go well outside of just getting those short passing attempts or rushing opportunities like running backs get and are usually better chalk. Yeah, so um, there's like a bunch of wide receivers is like a good position. So we, the, the only position I think that we can actually feel good about, I guess, uh, like the chalk at running back I didn't love. I don't mind the chalk at wide receiver, but there are some low-owned plays. Like one I have that I find is almost a bit interesting. Darnell Mooney at 3K seems to have completely supplanted Anthony Miller. He's playing on over 60% of the snaps in the past four games each over five or at least five targets, I guess, in each of the past three games. And it could be an interesting game environment versus the the Carolina Panthers, who have been a very successful offense, especially with Mike Davis, uh, you know, as their running back. Apparently that makes all the difference in the world. I'm just surprised that Darnell Mooney doesn't come in as like sort of the Olmeade Zacchaeus. You just play him to get other good plays in. He's not quite as good of a play as Olmeade Zacchaeus was last week. I know he didn't hit, but I think the process was generally there. Darnell Mooney kind of falls into that tier for me, a little bit below what we saw from Zacchaeus last week. I think he projected as a great play. Mooney at 3K projects as a really good play and is, is projected to see 5% ownership. I think he's a great way to get to jam some of the great plays in, and you don't have to eat a ton of ownership. Like I think there were not a ton of great pivots off of Zacchaeus last week. You don't have to make pivots off of the cheap play this week because no one seems to be on him. So I think that's quite an interesting one. One of the one I'll give you is Marquise Brown, 6,500. I believe it was his best week, uh, best fantasy week of the year last week. Philly's defense just, man, they are not very good. They don't seem to be able to cover downfield threats. Jim Schwartz saw, is a buffoon. God. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, they're not, uh, they're just not a professional football team at this point. I don't know. So I think Baltimore, they're oh, definitely not on. the, <laughs> they're definitely not, uh, I mean, Chase Claypool just ate their freaking lunch and he got there on just like, bad defensive plays like he was great but they also just like didn't cover him it was was terrible and so i maybe you don't project that to happen again but marquise brown seeing the you know the air yard share he's seeing seeing a decent amount of targets your only concern is what we talked about before is that you really do need to get him to get there in like the first half because if they end up going out philly yeah you're gonna get a lot of runs from baltimore but marquise brown can get there on two catches so i think marquise brown at 6500 is always in play at tournaments at sub 5% ownership, I think he's a great one-off in a game that's uh, not a ton of interest for me, but I'm always interested in Marquise Brown. Hit that thumbs up if you haven't done so yet, guys. We got almost 500 people watching on a Wednesday morning, so we appreciate you guys for chilling with us uh, every single day. And, hey, remember, all of these shows you can find on our podcast network. Any platform where podcasts are available, we've got you covered. All of these shows that are uploaded or done live on YouTube are, are can be found there as well. So if you don't feel like going to YouTube, check it out on the podcast network. Uh, and if you have the, a minute to do so, review it and rate the show. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, I'll give you one, Matt, and you can close out the wide receiver position. If Devontae Adams ends up getting 4% ownership, and Calvin Ridley ends up getting 15 to 20. I do not care. I'll be all over Devontae Adams. He's been healthy since last week. He said it. They kept him out, uh, likely because they knew they were going to kick the shit out of the Atlanta Falcons. That's exactly what they did. But 
Devontae Adams, number one, I don't care if pro football focus has Tampa Bay number one ranked in, in pass coverage. It, none of this really matters to me. Aaron Rodgers is, had it not been for Russell Wilson and Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers is having a legitimate MVP season. People might still put him in a conversation. Devontae Adams uh, will likely finish the season so long as he's healthy with a target share that's monstrous in games that he plays. So, yes, he is expensive. I get it, though. And I'm not particularly concerned about this Tampa Bay pass defense. If Devontae Adams is coming in with single-digit ownership, five lower than 5% nonetheless, uh, this is a spot I will be all over in week six. Who do you have at the wide receiver spot as a pivot? That was my guy. And I think Tampa Bay is oh, my fault. Hey, no, that's all good. I, I have another pivot, too. Plenty of these, man. Um, I think Tampa Bay is the number one secondary in football. It's laughable because they played Jeff Driscoll and Nick Foles. And totally. in between that, they allowed Justin Herbert to complete – 80% of his pass attempts, and we know how L.A. just gives away games. They should have won that game, and they did not because of bad coaching. Anyway, if you're talking about a direct pivot from Ridley to Devontae Adams at a fraction of the ownership, I'm going to do the same thing with Terry McLaurin to A.J. Brown. Now, A.J. Brown, of course, not in as quite of a nice environment as a guy like Devontae Adams, but still easily the number one wide receiver on that team. And in his two healthy games, target counts of eight and nine for A.J. Brown, you're paying – 5,600 for a wide receiver one, sub 5% ownership, a direct pivot off another wide receiver one in Terry McLaurin, who's in a worse environment. All right, Matt, you know what? We went to you last each time. Let's start with you at running back. I'll go last at running back. Go you, Kyle, myself, and then we'll round out the show with some of our favorite stacks that might not be getting as much attention. Who do you have at the halfback position? Yeah, I think just looking at Joe Mixon's just raw volume, the ridiculous volume he's seeing in Cincinnati doesn't matter if they're favored, doesn't matter if they're underdogs. The guy had eight targets last week, and his targets have been trending upward as they phase Giovanni Bernard out of this offense. Giovanni Bernard season lows in routes run. Joe Mixon season highs in routes run. I think he's a great look regardless of game script. 24 carries, eight targets as they were getting pounded by the Ravens last week. All right, Kyle. Yeah, I really like the, the Miles Gaston call from earlier, so I won't hit yeah, on it again. David one. Montgomery, that was a really good one. That was maybe the best pivot of the week, I think, in terms of what we named. I like Joe Mixon. I think David Montgomery. Basically, anytime you can get a guy who is going to be a bell cow or a pseudo bell cow running back at a fraction of the ownership as guys with similar volume, similar prices, you should be doing it. One other one that I think is maybe a little bit interesting will go a bit underlooked. The Giants at home favored, I believe. Devonta Freeman that was my seems guy to too. be... Oh, I'm sorry, but he seems oh, to be taking good. over it's this backfield. Yeah, he was the the back in the winning Millie Maker uh, lineup because he's getting a pretty solid amount of the work. He's not quite to the tier of of a guy like David Montgomery, really, especially depending on how you count Cordero Patterson's runs. But, uh, you know, Devonta Freeman getting a lot of carries, I think like a 70 plus percent market share of the carries last week. We've seen his snaps and his carry totals come up in consecutive weeks. He's getting a decent amount of targets. He's more of a split target share with uh, Deion Lewis, sort of like we saw Joe Mixon early in the year, where the targets were okay, but they weren't perfect. But at 4,900, if he's going to be sub-5% ownership, you're getting a guy who can project for, I don't know, 70% and 40% in terms of backfield carries and backfield targets. Home, favored, Washington defense, everything aligns for him at 4,900. That's really why I like him, is you get a lot of volume for such a cheap price. And that's why it hit last week. And that's why it has a decent chance of hitting again this week at incredibly low ownership. Love it. Uh, for me, I'll give you another pivot in that David Johnson range. Right now, 5% Antonio Gibson. Uh, you know, I look at Gibson, and is he running a ton of routes? No, but he's being targeted over his last two games on about 33% of the routes that he's run. So that's encouraging. 
Uh, number two, he's facing a New York team in a game where they are very, very small dogs. The, the Washington football team has been massive double-digit dogs in back-to-back games to Baltimore and the Rams, and the games have gone exactly how you would have imagined. And Gibson still saw 24 combined carries and 10 combined targets. So now place him into a situation where they could actually have the upper hand or at least not be getting blown out against a completely anemic offense in New York. I think Antonio Gibson could, could fall, could stumble into one of these games where he sees a season high in opportunities, potentially 16 carries, five targets, 20 plus total looks. Uh, and you could be talking about a very solid play here for Washington against New York. So Kyle, you have Freeman. I don't mind Gibson on the other side of that game. Uh, both of these guys could end up having pretty solid uh, weeks. All right, let's close it out. A couple of our favorite low owned stacks. Now I'll say this much, Matt, before we get into this right now, the teams with the highest ownership are the Texans, Ravens, Falcons, Dolphins, Lions, and Giants. Uh, I can't imagine Texas holds. Maybe I'm wrong. The highest top stack probability is the Falcons, Texans, Titans, Vikings, Packers, and the highest value is the Falcons, tight Texans, Titans, Vikings, Ravens. Uh, I'm likely going to try my hand with the Lions this week. They've burnt me several times this season, but if I'm getting immensely low ownership on a number of these guys, I might take a stab, but man, that really, really flat distribution of targets has me shook going into week six in a really good matchup against the Jaguars. What are you thinking about this week for your stacks? Yeah, we have Green Bay Tampa Bay with a 54 point total coming in with a fraction of the ownership. We talked about Devonte Adams, sub 5%, Mike Evans, sub 2%. We're not sure if Godwin will be healthy, but he's also extremely low owned as well. And that's without even considering the running backs, the cheap plays like Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Robert Tanyan. If you want to get a little different with your stacks, I think the low ownership is overrating the defenses for both of these teams a little bit, particularly on the Tampa Bay side, which we discussed. So if that ownership sticks, that's a stack I'm going to be targeting heavily. What about you, Kyle? Close us out. So I have an ugly one. I've got a real grimy one for you. Nick Foles at 5,800 versus the Carolina Panthers. Foles has attempted over 40 passes in each of the past two weeks. And really the thing I like about him so much is he's got two guys that I think are coming in at incredibly low ownership. Allen Robinson being one of the most dominant target share guys in the league. And Darnell Mooney, who is at 3K absolute minimum price and has pretty clearly cemented himself as a number two receiver. I don't actually like Foles as much as I like two of his weapons. Allen Robinson coming in at low ownership. You should always be playing Allen Robinson at low ownership. And Darnell Mooney, for the price adjusting for his ownership, is incredible. So because I'm on those two guys, I actually think Foles and then the runback options, potentially I can eat my chalk with Mike Davis because I'm getting so weird with Nick Foles, I think is a great option this week. I like it. Yeah, Foles has been – it's funny. You look at his fantasy totals and you think they'd be higher. Uh, but he's got two weapons there that you can absolutely look to. Kyle, I think you even mentioned David Montgomery earlier in the show, uh, not yeah. as a stacking option necessarily, but he was targeted. What are these eight targets? Last eight times six, six before times that, the yep. week before that. I don't know, man, in terms of just overall efficiency on what he's able to do with those targets would be a concern to me, but is it crazy to think that Montgomery could have a seven reception game and break off a, a decent catch and run? Not necessarily. No. So I like that. By the way, we got some free content on the site today for you guys that aren't premium members. You want to check it out. Uh, NFL player rankings for the week six slate are free. 
MLB player projections as well for today are free. PGA player projections also free. So uh, we got you covered, man. Go check that out and uh, let us know what you think. All of that currently free on the site. Go to awesomeo.com and check that out. One more thing. Stick around for the rest of the day. You know we're going to have content more than anybody else out there. Coming up at 5.15, it's MLB Live Before Lock. That's EMAC and Greg Ehrenberg. And then at 7.30, you've got the MMA Strategy Show, Jason Floyd and Pete the Heat Rogers. Uh, and then closing out the day, Jason and Ben, it's the PGA Live Before Lock Show at 8.30 Eastern Time, all night long. Tons of content right here at YouTube.com slash Awesomeo. Thanks for hanging out, guys. We'll catch you back here soon on the NFL Strategy Show presented by Awesomeo.com.